Welcome to the Choosing to Stay podcast. We're your hosts, Hallie Roderick and Stephanie Hamby, certified relationship and recovery coaches. And we specialize in supporting couples who are healing from infidelity and betrayal. We invite you to join us each week as we explore the challenges and joys of the recovery journey for couples who are choosing to stay in a relationship after betrayal. We'll encourage you with hope for healing and transformation. Connection, empathy, growth, choosing to stay. Welcome to the Choosing to Stay podcast. I'm Hallie, and I'm here with my co-host, Stephanie, and we're so glad that you joined us. Today, Stephanie and I have been discussing some of the things that we wished we would have known early on, and so we're going to share some of those things with you today, so that if you're early on in this journey, and even if you're not, hopefully some of what we share with you today will give you some understanding about what you're going through and some encouragement to keep moving forward and to understand a little bit about what you're experiencing, because when you're thrown into this world, you don't really understand everything about it. And you're kind of just at first trying to learn the language of what's happening and actually just opening your eyes to the fact that there is this whole world of healing after betrayal. And so we're going to share with you some things that are helpful to understand early on. So as we were talking about this, we decided that one of the most important things that we wish we would have known early on is to create some safety for both partners. So do you want to talk, Stephanie, a little bit about what that means? Because safety can be a big word. And I know that for a lot of guys who are the ones that have done the acting out or the sexual betrayal, if there's not physical abuse happening, they might go, what are you talking about safety? It's not like I'm hitting her. And if there is physical abuse going on, we need an even higher level of safety. We need like physical distance. You need to be in a different place. You should not be living together if there's any sort of physical violence happening. So I just want to get very clear on that at first. If there's physical violence happening from either persons, then we need a greater distance of safety. So outside of that physical safety, what else are we referring to when we're talking about safety? Yeah. Well, the first thing that I was thinking of is the partner's nervous system is very dysregulated because of the trauma. So we're coming in, we're learning this new information and the nervous system goes into panic. (laughs) Like I need to find safety. But if you have never explored like trauma healing or safety or any of those things, you might not know that this is like the key. It really is the key to calming your nervous system so that you can get back into like a logical state, be able to make healthy choices for yourself. And it's important for both though. So the betrayed partner and the one who has acted out seeking safety, what does that look like emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, if needed, like what are those things that you need to do and put into place to regain safety, which there's a lot of things that's included in safety that can look like boundaries, therapeutic separation. Like a lot of the couples I work with will do an in-home separation. So you sleep in this bedroom, I'll sleep in this bedroom. Let's have some time and distance apart so that we can work on creating internal safety within ourselves. I've seen this several times with some of my female betrayed clients with the betrayed spouse that they become the ones that become so dysregulated that they are causing physical harm. Like they physically attack their partner who sexually betrayed them. And that's totally outside of their value system. But that's the trauma response that they're having is that they're so dysregulated, they're unable to to manage that. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, same thing happens. Like physical 
altercations is not okay, regardless of which partner is causing the physical harm. And if that's the case, you definitely need further separation. I would say even in most cases, more intense than an in-home separation. So I just want to throw that out there, that it's not always the guy that is physically abusive and sometimes a betrayed partner, even though they're the ones that are in so much pain, that pain sometimes manifests in not being able to regulate to the point that they get to that place. And if that's the case, definitely seek somewhere safer until you can get to a place where you can both regulate what's coming up for you. And I feel so much for those betrayed partners who are in that place that find themselves being the one physically harming their partner when it's so far out of what their normal behaviors are. And because it feels almost, I don't know, it's like an out-of-body experience almost is like, holy cow, what just happened? That's not who I am. And that's an indication that you need some space to get some safety within yourself. You need to find a foundation of safety outside of your partner. I also would add in there, like financial safety can also be part of that. Sometimes there's an unhealthy control of finances, which puts particularly, usually I see it with the betrayed partner in a really vulnerable position where now all of a sudden the person that they thought they could trust, they can't trust with their heart. And if they don't have access to any money, that puts them in just another level of vulnerability. And so that can look like a whole bunch of different things that can look like a loosening of the control of the money or somehow creating safety there might look like the betrayed partner going to find a job or finding some other resources to make sure that their temporal needs are taken care of. As we're talking about safety, another thing I was thinking of that really plays a lot in helping like regain that safety is connecting to safe others. I know we've said it before on here, connecting to God, ourselves and others is huge and healing. And most partners and the one who has acted out, they find that in healing and recovery, the sooner it happens, I think the better, because you're starting to build that foundation of safety through connection with safe others. And I think this is like a nuanced part of safety because sometimes reaching out to other people like family and friends can bring in layers of advice giving or like now I'm dependent on this other person to help me control my emotions or I now feel obligated to make this person happy because they gave this advice towards my relationship. So really seeking out what is a safe connection and safe people in your life to be able to share and process with. And for the one who has acted out, that looks like accountability and mentors, people who you can start uh, funneling some of the things that you have experienced in your life too, and they can be that safe resource for you. Yeah. So when we were talking about safety, just initially, we were talking about like for the betrayed partner, what does safety look like? And I think it's important that you just brought up that the one that has acted out also find supportive people who can help them understand what creating safety for their betrayed partner looks like and what that means, what behaviors they need to take a look at to create safety for their betrayed partner. And so also reaching out to safe others 
I always encourage people, if you're finding our podcast, because this is your first reaching out, is amazing. That's great. And we're so glad that you're here. And we also want to encourage you to reach out and get some support from an unbiased outside safe person who is trained in either sexual betrayal, sexual addiction, betrayal trauma, so that they can help you kind of navigate what can be really confusing in this. So either a coach or a therapist who is APSATS trained and maybe a CSAT, finding a group that is facilitated by a professional who also has similar training so that you can start to make sense of what you're experiencing and what you're going through and making sense of it for yourself. Yes. And you mentioned the group support, like that is huge for stepping out and like out of that isolated feeling. I know like in the really early days, like right after discovery, a lot of times there's just this like immense amount of shame and this feeling of like the things that have come to light or this discovery or the way my life has unfolded is very unique to my situation And having that group support really helps validate your experience to know that you're not alone. And Mm -hmm. it really helps you just like step out. And if you're doing like virtual, which most groups are now having that like hug or that just really awesome needed support. And that helps create safety too. But group is really important and early recovery. I also want to add groups that are led by those professionals that you just listed Having one that is led by someone who can give it, not advice, but really lead and guide the group in a way that's going to be healthy and beneficial for your healing. And groups for both partners, both the one that's acted out and the betrayed partner. And there are resources for both. And I think that shame, sometimes we hear shame and we think that the one who's acted out is the one that carries the shame. And that's actually I'm true most of the time. Like there is a lot of shame associated with this early on. And also the betrayed partners carry a lot of shame of like, oh my gosh, what would people think? Or what's wrong with me? Why would he or she do this? Is it because I'm not enough or because I'm not sexy enough or pretty enough or smart enough or whatever? So both people can carry shame around this and the group setting can help you. It's like when somebody else says, you know, I can relate to what you're experiencing there and maybe share some experiences it helps you feel like you're not so alone or that you're not crazy, that what you're going through is pretty common for this situation. And I think that's my next point is to know that you're not crazy. There are so so many different ways that people can react or respond when betrayal is discovered in a relationship, whether you're the one that's acted out or whether you're the betrayed partner that It's important to understand what happens in our brain and in our body when a betrayed partner has experienced betrayal. And it's not because they're crazy. Their behavior may look totally different than what it normally is. And that is the betrayal trauma speaking and showing up. And so you're not crazy. Your spouse is not crazy. But go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes. We did one specifically on what is betrayal trauma. But do some research on how Betrayal can impact the brain. And when your brain is not functioning in the same way that it normally should, of course, when your logical brain is offline, you're going to act in ways that are not normal for you. And so that would be my other thing is that you're not crazy. And I think getting in a group can be so validating for that going, oh my gosh, okay, I'm not the only one 
that has experienced this or that is feeling this or is thinking this. So knowing that pretty much anything you experience in this is probably a normal response. Yes. My, my thoughts went to like the initial trauma responses of like hypervigilance and like the cycling of thoughts and all of those things that just come with that initial trauma and can continue on. But it you do feel like you are going crazy. Like you can't make thoughts line up. You can't make sense of what has happened, make sense of your life. Like everything feels so distorted and it can feel like you're going crazy. And so, yeah, I love that one. Like, no, you're not crazy. Your body is responding appropriately in the way that it should be to this trauma experience. Another thing that I, I hear sometimes that people are like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? I must be crazy. Is that sometimes the initial response is to go to like almost a fawning, like a hypervigilant where they're making sure they're, they're being sexual with their partner. They're people pleasing. They're making sure that everything is so good in the relationship. And then at some point they kind of come out of that and go, oh my gosh, what was I doing? That wasn't safe. And so kind of understanding that that can sometimes be a normal response to is that fawning reaction rather than a fight, flight, or freeze. Sometimes fawn is what we turn to, and that can be a normal response to trauma as well. It doesn't usually last, but it sometimes can be the initial phase of, of a reaction to understanding that there's been betrayal in your relationship. Yeah. As you were saying, like the fawning it leads me to another thought of that I wish I'd known. And it was, this isn't my fault. And when I like looking back and then also what I see in a lot of my partners is a lot of the behaviors that come with sexual acting out. So like our, the more covert behaviors that come with it, like lying, deception, gaslighting. So not the sexual acting out itself, but the other types of behaviors that almost always come along with that those are present before the partner learns. Usually those are always present before the partner learns of the, the acting out behaviors themselves. So what I've seen a lot is they would use the fawning unaware that there wasn't safety. And so they were using fawning. They would do all these things to make themselves better or to improve themselves. Oh, the reason that I'm not getting this emotional support or having this emotional connection, or we don't have authentic intimacy is because of something I'm doing. So they will try mm -hmm. those fawning behaviors before the discoveries even happen. And then it's like this discovery. And then, oh, now it's my fault because I didn't do what needed to be done to stop this from happening. And if I had anything to say to anyone, it's not your fault. Like you did not cause this. There's nothing you could have done to have changed the trajectory. When someone chooses to act out, it is a choice that they are making outside of you and anything that you could have done. Sometimes there's that blame shifting that comes in, which is another one of those like acting in behaviors or the covert behaviors that come with sexual acting out. And almost immediately there's like a blame shifting. Well, if you would have been more, if you'd have done this, if you hadn't have done that, then I wouldn't have. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of like they're hearing dialogue from the one who has acted out, or there's like the self-blame. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, if you are the one that has acted out, something that you should know early on is to, because a common response can be to to figure out a way to make it your partner's fault. 
because, well, maybe we weren't having sex enough or we weren't connecting enough or you were too caught up in your work or you were this and making it like using language and saying things that make that are kind of lead your partner to believe that it is their fault. And I'm not saying that there aren't unhealthy dynamics that can be present in a relationship, but those unhealthy dynamics don't ever give you an excuse to go act outside of the relationship. And so taking a hundred percent ownership of your choices, I have seen partners where the initially the one who was betrayed will say things like, well, it's because if you're not going to give me sex, I'm going to go find it somewhere else. And that is damaging in the long-term healing of their relationship or any sort of excuse where it puts the blame on the betrayed partner. Those things can add layers of healing that have to happen down the road when we say those things in the early stages. So for the one who has acted out, that would be something I wish they, they would understand early on too, is to take ownership, yeah. whether there's an addiction present or whether there's been an affair or whatever, but taking ownership of their choices without making it their partner's fault for any reason would be huge. Yeah. It may be good to like go back to the acting in episode and just trying to tackle some of those behaviors as quickly as possible. Because usually with blame shifting comes shaming and criticizing and minimizing, mm -hmm. really minimizing the partner's experience and maybe their trauma responses that they are having. I think that it's also important to understand that early on, as much as both of you probably would like the other one to be the solution to your pain, mm -hmm. neither one of you are really in a position or in a place to be the support person for the other one. And so either finding support in that group and individual support of some sort, whether that be a coach or a therapist, I'm a big fan of sponsors and coaches and things like that as well. But going quickly to find that outside support instead of expecting the other person to be able to provide that for you, even though we want it, we want that. And we may even want to be able to be that for our spouse. But until we've done a level of healing on our own, it's usually we're not able to do that for each other. And so realizing that that's like a double burn victim scenario. You're both laying there with third degree burns and neither one of you is in a position to go doctor the other one's wounds. Right. Yeah. And that's like one of the things that I see happen so much. Like I will rescue you and myself Yeah. <laughs> and it can be really difficult to like switch in or back to like the trauma symptoms with like the cycling of thoughts, they usually go to something along the lines of, I'm thinking of like that one who was acted out, if he would just do this, or if he would just do that. And yeah, I agree with you. Getting that individual support is really, it's just so good for the system and the brain and, and your heart really to begin that healing. I think that goes along with that surrendering the other person's work as well, because particularly for a betrayed partner, all of a sudden when they've figured out about a betrayal or the reality of what they've been experiencing really hits them. It's like you sometimes have this realization that your life is out of control. And so we're grasping for anything that we can have control over. And the biggest thing they want to have control over is their spouse and their acting out behaviors. And so they may show up with control type behaviors that 
are coming from a place and a need for safety and security, but it goes back to what you just said. Well, if they would just listen to this podcast, then they would understand. If they would just read this book or do this course or meet with this therapist, then they will understand and then I'll be safe. Mm-hmm. And it's important for each of us to find that understanding on our own. Because a lot of times what happens is like the one that's acted out is a betrayed partner is, is sharing things or trying to derive their direct, their recovery. They almost seem to have some resistance around it. I'm sure that's the shame piece that's coming up, but the importance of doing your own individual work. And I know it's really hard to do early on, but planting that seed in your mind of like, I'm going to focus on my healing and I'm going to allow them to focus on their healing and this, that becomes really scary when they don't, like when, when you're a betrayed partner and the one that's acted out refuses to do the work, which we did an episode on that a couple of weeks ago, when they refuse to do the work, that can be scary and we can't force them or control them and make them do that. So it's even more important to focus on our own healing and what we do have control of so that we can create that safety for ourselves if our partner is unwilling or unable to do it and, and is not willing to do the work. I think just that right there, well, I know this word feels yucky, but the victim mindset says, I do not have any control over my circumstances, my emotions, my experiences, or I'm without control over this certain thing. And so a lot of times the one who has acted out will move towards this victim mindset of, I have no control over this addiction or healing from this or recovery. Like there's no... I have no control over it. It has control over me. I've tried before, like all the things. And that is huge for them to understand that they do have the ability to take back agency over that. You do have what it takes. You do have it within your reach. You have the resources. There's tons of resources now um, to be able to take back your life. And so moving from that victim mindset into, I do have a life within my reach of who I want to become and, and work towards becoming that. And if the one who has acted out can grasp a hold of that, the earlier, the sooner, the better, because it helps to create the safety. Like you were saying, if we can both work on ourselves, it creates safety for ourselves and our partners. So peace or the one who has acted out starts to move out, seeks what they can have control over and starts gaining that it helps provide that safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think if you ha- are in that mindset, I've tried before, nothing works. This is, this has control over me. Then maybe you need to try something different. Like if what you're doing isn't working, then, then reach out for a different support system, find a different coach, different therapist, different group. There's a lot of different ways to approach this, but we know lots of people who are in recovery I hesitate to say overcome this because it's, it's a lifelong yeah. journey, but have learned to manage their life in a way that they don't turn to these unhealthy coping mechanisms, whether it be an addiction or sexual compulsivity or reaching out to people outside of their relationship for validation. Like there are people who have overcome or are working to overcome and continue to be in recovery and they have peace in their lives and they have control over their lives. And So I love that you brought that up, that it is possible and maybe you need to try something different if what you've been doing hasn't been working, or if this is new to you, explore what feels right to you. There's a lot of resources out there. And if you need some 
suggestions or some support, then find somebody who's in this world or reach out to one of us. We can, we can give you recommendations of good places to start. Yeah. You, you mentioned something and I remember in early healing thinking it was terrifying. (laughs) And it was when I heard that recovery and healing was a lifelong, like you are forever in this. And I remember thinking like, Ooh, I've not, I can't like, I can't do that. I wanted like specific benchmarks or this timeline or like 10 steps and you are healed, you know, and to this idea of like recovery being like a lifestyle, I was like, Oh no, this is horrible. And I heard someone say, I can't give credit because I can't remember who it was, but they said it's instead of looking at it as recovery or healing, it is living this new transformed lifestyle. So it's, it is a lifestyle that you are starting to build. That's completely different than the one that you had. And in that lifestyle is healthy choices, safety, probably things that you didn't have before. And so your recovery and healing is a new lifestyle based around safety and healthy choices. And so that helped reframe it for me because it did terrify me. I was like, oh no, like I will be in recovery for the rest of my life or healing felt very out of reach almost. Yeah. I've heard that a lot in my help for heal groups. The guys are like, what, how long have we, how long are we going to have to do this? And I also want to say along that line, like there's no timeline on healing and this, this experience now is part of your life. Like it is part of your relationship going forward. And so it will transform. And what I want to say is that as you both dig into your work, you're not in the same level of pain all the time that you were initially like safety is being created and you're attempting to rebuild trust and create safety, then the triggers and the things that are activating now will start to become less frequent and the activation that comes around it will not be as intense. And so it kind of early on, it feels like this really big up and down roller coaster that's scary and you just want to get off the ride. And as you get further and further along in your healing, the ride smooths out and the ups come more often and the downs don't stay as long. And so if you can kind of keep that long-term perspective, but it is a change in your relationship forever going forward, because this now is part of what your experience is together. And it can be such a huge opportunity to create a different type of relationship that is more connected, more intimate, more safe than maybe what you've ever experienced up to this point in your relationship And it can be actually a beautiful thing. And so I would, I hope that people will take hope in that. And we're starting to interview some couples where we can share success stories, people that are living the recovery. And I think that's a theme you're going to hear in those interviews coming up is that it's not a place of arrival. There's not a destination that at this point we'll know we're healed. It is truly a change of lifestyle. And it is truly, I refer back to what your husband, Josh said in the episode that you two did, we did with you two a a few months ago around ongoing disclosure and and a new type of relationship that is open and honest all the time. And so it doesn't mean that your relationship is going to be rainbows and butterflies all the time, but what you'll learn is that you'll learn to, first of all, create safety and build trust in a different way. And to work through conflict in a way where conflict can turn to connection instead of it being feeling like crisis mode every time there's a 
a disagreement or a conflict that arises. It, it's You can now look at it as a place of like, okay, it's unfortunate we're in this place of conflict again, and I'm going to do my work to be able to come back to the conversation or the relationship in a way that I want to, in a way that aligns with my values and who how I want to be and how I want to show up. And I'm going to trust that my partner is going to do the same thing too. And then we're going to come back and we're going to be able to have an intimate conversation in it with vulnerability and empathy coming from both parties. And that can be a beautiful thing that can emerge from betrayal, even though it feels like you're in the ashes of what might seem like the, the end of your relationship can be rebuilt and it can be stronger and it can be more solid. Yeah. I'm really excited about the bringing the couples on that. would If I was adding something else to this list, it would be that, that I wish I'd have known that there is hope because it was several months after, but I did start listening to stories of other people, other couples who had survived and they were living a thriving life. And it gave me hope. Like if they can do it and if we can both put in this work, then maybe we can be like that too. And so it's, it is very hopeful to hear those stories of other people who have lived through this and come out healed and, and just all the hope that comes with that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there are a few things that Stephanie and I have discussed the things that we wish we would have known early on. And I hope that some of those things will resonate with you and that you can take some of them and apply them in your own healing journey and in your own mindset as you're approaching your healing. So the things that we discussed today, they are, I feel like they are really helpful things for our listeners, like in early recovery and just ways of gaining safety and moving towards healing and recovery and becoming who you're called to be really. And so these are these foundational tools that Hallie and I shared with you, we hope will be enlightening for your journey towards healing. Thank you for listening to the choosing to stay podcast. If you have enjoyed this show, we invite you to subscribe, share, and leave us a review connection, empathy, and growth choosing to stay.